Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. An explosive conspiracy. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. We sometimes get into bombs or heists and crimes that involved bombings on this podcast, but admittedly, it can get a little too technical for my taste, at times a little too logistical. But I've been doing a lot of research on Boston crimes for one of my jobs and came upon a bomb plot that was so fascinating to me, I had to share it on the podcast. So I am. Violence, paranoia, and a murder mystery are just the beginning of a bizarre plot that would shake the small community of Roslindale, Massachusetts. Today, we're talking about the Roslindale bomb plot, a violent crime that spun out into chaos. On October 28, 1991, a man named Thomas Shea Sr. called 911 to report a suspicious black box that fell out from under his 1986 Buick. The Buick was parked in front of girlfriend Mary Flanagan's home at 39 Eastbourne Street in Roslindale, Massachusetts. When officers Jeremiah Hurley and Francis Foley of the Boston Bomb Squad arrived, the 45-year-old told them that the black box had been dislodged from underneath his car while he was pulling out of his driveway. Shea Sr. has no idea what's going on with this box, and for most of the afternoon he's been touching the box, moving it around, but again doesn't know what it is or who put it there. Upon examination, Hurley and Foley realize that the box is homemade and remote-controlled. Together, they make the decision to attempt to dismantle it. But then, surprising everyone, the package detonates. It kills Jeremiah Hurley, a 23-year-old veteran of the police department, a war veteran, and a father of four, and critically injures Francis Foley to the extent that he can never work again. As the next wave of Boston police officers arrived, they come fully prepared for whatever else might be planted at 39 Eastbourne Street. It is tense and chaotic. With one officer killed and another critically wounded, the area is massively cordoned off and guarded, considered to be a highly dangerous crime scene. On the periphery, the Boston Homicide Department begins investigating and interviewing witnesses. Soon, agents Thomas D'Ambrosio and Dennis Lehigh from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives National Response Team appears at the scene and begins their own investigation into the mysterious car bomb. Meanwhile, Thomas Shea Sr., an erratic character to begin with, gets paranoid, but honestly, in this instance, for good reason. He is terrified for his life. He thinks that the bomb is a larger plot against him, that he's somehow a marked man who got lucky being out of the line of fire at a critical time. Yet Boston and ATF officers are in a different headspace. Law enforcement wonder if this explosion is part of a series of anti-law enforcement violent acts that are rippling across Boston. At the very least, they've lost one of their own officers, a beloved one, and are determined to find the person or people who did it. This is something that colors the case even now, the need for the case to be, quote, solved, even though, as you'll find out, it's much more complicated than that. The neighborhood of Roslindale is particularly on edge, checking their cars, calling in with concerns, and worrying where or who might be next. 
It doesn't help that the crime scene is next door to the popular Mozart Elementary School. Parents pull their children from the busy school, worried that there's a bomber on the loose and that he might strike again. As Boston police, ATF agents, and federal prosecutors look into potential suspects, they also take a deeper look into the life of Thomas Shea Sr., and it's highly suspicious. At the time, Shea Sr. had filed multiple lawsuits, one of which was pending against Jeff Barry and Anthony Jamarco, two men who owned a garage where Shea Sr. leased space. In the lawsuit, Barry and Jamarco were accused of causing harm to Shea Sr. on October of 1987, when half a stick of dynamite was thrown into a barrel at their garage. In November of 1989, Shea Sr. filed a report of metal scraps being dumped in his driveway, believing the scraps to be an intimidation tactic by Barry and Giamarco. Police wondered who was truly to blame in the lawsuit, and how it relates to the current case. Did Shea plant the bomb himself? Or did the lawsuit foreshadow a dangerous threat to Shea via his former landlords, Jeff Barry and Anthony Giamarco? Then there's Shea Sr.'s relationship to his own son, Thomas Shea Jr. Investigators found that Thomas Shea Sr. had a complicated, perhaps even abusive, relationship to his troubled 21-year-old son. Shea Jr. spent most of his adolescence in boys' schools and had more recently been in and out of different psychiatric hospitals. After the case gets some media attention, you'd think Shea Jr. would lay low, not wanting to be affiliated with what's going on or distance himself from his father. But no. Shea Jr. officially becomes a suspect in the murder of Jeremiah Hurley, mostly because of his own puzzling actions. Shea Jr. engages fully in the media attention, scheduling interviews and even calling his own press conferences, where the 21-year-old gives his take on developments in the case. If Shea Sr. is paranoid, Shea Jr. fully embraces his newfound local infamy. The press coverage of the case that includes interviews or clips from Shea Jr. doesn't include Shea Jr.'s history of mental illness or potential abuses by Shea Sr. It is a media circus. As police and ATF officers focused on both Shea Sr. and Shea Jr. as potential suspects, another individual comes to their attention, a man named Alfred Trenkler. 36-year-old Trenkler is a friend of 21-year-old Shea Jr.'s, and has a track record of making and detonating explosives that had gotten him in trouble with the law. In 1986, Trenkler constructed a bomb for a friend named Donna Shea, who was in a dispute with the owners of a local market in Quincy, Massachusetts. To intimidate them, Shea had Trenkler assemble a remote-control, radio-activated bomb and attached it to a trunk belonging to the business. It detonated in the middle of the night, causing minor property damage. It did intimidate the business, so much so that Trenkler was implicated in the property damage case. In building the Quincy bomb, Trenkler put in a military flash simulator typically utilized to mimic gunfire in combat exercises. To provide remote control capabilities, Trenkler used a radio receiver he had removed from a small toy car. Trenkler wrapped the bomb in duct tape and attached a magnet so it would stick to the car's undercarriage. Most of the items he used to build a bomb were from a local radio shack. On one occasion, not for the Quincy bomb, but for the other small projects, let's call them, Trinkler sent Shea Jr.'s 11-year-old nephew into the radio shack with a list of things to buy while Trinkler waited outside. How he knew Shea Jr.'s nephew was never made clear to me in my research, though likely, we'll say, Shea Jr. had a relationship with Trinkler. Establishing that right now. Of course, Trinkler's history with explosives sounded eerily similar to the case at hand, That, plus his proximity to the Shea family, made investigators think Trenkler might be the person they were looking for. But if he was, what was his motive? 
Was it really worth it to put himself back in the crosshairs of the law as a favor to a friend? As you think about these important questions, let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. How are you doing? How's it going over there? I didn't mean to sound like I was interrogating you, like, how are you doing? Yeah, apologize now. Apologize. How are you doing? Yeah, how about okay, that? good. Okay, you just a redo, a do over, per se. But tell me. But like really, yeah, let us know honestly, going, yeah. honestly now, yeah, honestly now. Who are you covering for? Yeah, what are, what are you doing? Are you part what of the conspiracy? Doing? What are you doing? No, okay. And if you are, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> we're just happy you're here. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, yeah. No judgment. Wow, what a roller coaster. We want to say hello to anyone who's listening, supporting the show, spreading the good word. Mm-hmm. Tell a friend. Yeah. And if you have a friend, oh, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me because you have friends? <laughs> oh. You fell into that one. Wow. Wow. Tell an enemy. Really stick it to Oh, them. yeah, yeah. That'd be good for us, too. Yeah. It'd be I fun. I, would, I wish I could make new enemies. I mean, you are every day. You're online. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm part of the problem. You know, we want to say, what is up to the government? Mm-hmm. Of course. The ghost town government, mm-hmm. a kickback crew Mm-mm. of rock and rollers, Ooh. a kick-ass crew of the mayors. Mm-hmm. They're dressed in their best fall attire. Oh, their best fall color palettes? Color Rusty, yellows, reds, browns, chic. Dressed in a J. Crew <laughs> fall jacket. Nice. I'm out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. it's got a like a corduroy collar, like a barn jacket. I think they used to call them. I used to work at a J Crew years ago. It was, called barn. it was like one of their signature jackets. That would be the one and only Cat Joselle. Hello, dressed in a pea coat. Mm. And it's not cold enough for a pea coat, but it could be I'll a light pea coat. Stephen Bates doesn't care. Ooh, and why should he? Wearing a puffy vest with a flannel button-down shirt under it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're just going through my closet right now. Charlie Gilbert. Hello. Wearing a badass motorcycle jacket. Oh, damn. Because like, okay. I don't care what the season okay, is. Okay, fall. I like to rock. Damn. That would be Ashley Matson. Hello. And wearing 
effortlessly <laughs> a winter cape. <laughs> Fur Majestic. Fur lined? Anything lined. Hell yeah. It's one of those things you can you can zip in any liner you want, <laughs> oh, depending cool. on how you that's feel. That's cool. I like that. That would be our governor. Oh, hell yeah. Avian, Avian Noble. Noble. So if you want no ads, no chit chat, bonus episodes, you want to binge, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. want to listen to episodes without us doing this or listen to ads. You know you want it. Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. All right, let's get back to Roslindale, Massachusetts, where Boston police investigate the Shea family and Trankler. ATF agents and explosive agents, while this is all happening, are working hard around the clock to reconstruct the bomb from its detonated debris. They finally determined that a specific Radio Shack toggle switch was used in the construction device. ATF agent Dennis Lehigh cases all the area Radio Shack records, looking for someone who purchased the same model toggle switch in the recent past. Police also find another potential lead in the case, a man named Edwin Gaeta. Gaeta, who is friends with Shea Jr., tells authorities that Shea Jr. asked him to make an introduction to another friend named Ian Medoff. Shea Jr. asks Medoff, who is also knowledgeable in explosives, to make a bomb to kill his father in exchange for $10,000. But Medoff refuses, Gaeta says, but the interview implicates Shea Jr. even more as a high-priority suspect with an obvious agenda. After more friends of Shea are interviewed, investigators circle back to Trenkler. Some individuals who know both Trenkler and Shea Jr. say that the two might be more than friends. They might be romantically involved. Was this murder an act of passion? Did Trenkler try to kill Shea Sr. as retaliation for Shea Jr.'s abusive upbringing? There are no eyewitnesses connecting either of them to the construction or placement of the bomb, but the evidence feels strong. Trenkler, attached to Shea Jr. or not, becomes suspect number one, while Shea Jr., is being watched heavily by the police. Finally, Lehigh makes a crucial break in the case. He finds a Radio Shack receipt dated 10 days before the bombing. The receipt shows the purchase of a toggle switch, the same one used in the Roslindale bomb. And there's more. The Radio Shack store that the receipt is linked to is located directly across the street from where Trenkler worked. Along with that, the customer who purchased the toggle switch identified himself as Sahi, S-A-H-Y, eerily close to the name Shay. With this information, Shay Jr.'s own need for the limelight becomes his downfall. In an attempt to further implicate Trenkler and absolve himself, Shay Jr. admitted in a WLVI-TV interview that he did in fact purchase a toggle switch for Trenkler as a gift for a project he was working on. It is all incredibly suspect. Boston PD also realized Shea Jr. had been acting out towards his father in larger and larger ways, screaming, becoming violent with him, and publicly slandering him, and that Shea Jr. would get a portion of his life insurance money if Shea Sr. were to die. Despite Shea Jr.'s attempts to throw Trenkler under the bus, investigators conclude that Shea Jr. and Trenkler were likely closely working together, creating an explosive to kill Shea Sr. in an act of revenge and or financial gain. While Trenkler was involved to an extent, Shea Jr. was the mastermind in the bizarre and fatal murder plot. Were they lovers? Unless someone talks, we'll never know for sure. Soon, both Shea Jr. and Trenkler were arrested, and both were found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, which is lucky because they could have gotten much longer sentences. 
Both, however, were sentenced to life in prison. After 10 years, Shea Jr. was released in August of 2002 after a competency evaluation at Bridgewater State Hospital in Massachusetts. Although he found Shea Jr. immature and self-centered, psychologist Paul G. Nestor did not see any signs or symptoms of a severe mental disorder or cognitive impairment that might render him incompetent. Since Shea Jr.'s release from prison in August 2002, he repeatedly violated the terms of his federal supervised release, which required him to stay out of trouble or face up to five more years in prison. In late 2005, he was sent back to prison for four months after assaulting a Northeastern University officer and leaving a halfway house. A fugitive warrant was issued for Shea Jr. August 1st, 2006, after he was arrested on state charges of selling drugs to one teenager and stealing from another. Shea Jr. allegedly fled to avoid going back to prison for violating the terms of his federal supervised release. The U.S. Marshal Service had searched for Shea Jr. in New Hampshire, Maine, Chicago, and parts of Massachusetts, and marshals were almost going to appear on Fox TV's America's Most Wanted in a bid to boost his search. But that plan was scrapped when deputy marshals learned that he had returned back to Roslindale a couple of days before and was hiding out in his mother's house. Police believe Shea Jr. avoided capture for so long because he was dressing as a woman to disguise himself while on the run, something Shea Jr. vehemently denied after being arrested. So how was he arrested? In 2007, at the age of 35, Shea Jr. was tracked down at his mother's house on Beacon Street by Deputy U.S. Marshals, Boston Police, and Quincy Police. Quote, everyone in his family said he wasn't there, said Supervisory Deputy U.S. Marshal Jeffrey L. Bone, adding that a quick search of the two-family house showed that they were not telling the truth. He was upstairs in bed. Shea Jr. was then pulled out of bed by U.S. Marshals at about 9.30 a.m. and arrested. After a good, short nap, he was back in prison. While Shea Jr. served a short amount of time, comparatively, Trenkler was still in prison, serving his life sentence. As the years go by, Trenkler became a bit of a darling in the New England Innocence Project, with a website dedicated to his freedom. You can find it. There is comprehensive information that I used for this episode. It's pretty impressive. There are so many citizen investigators claiming that Trenkler was a victim of circumstance. And a history of bombings doesn't mean he was involved in the Roslindale bomb plot. Still, a man named Dave Lindholm, a prisoner with Trenkler, testified that Trenkler had confessed his guilt in assembling the bomb to him. But defenders of Trenkler say Lindholm has since gone on to make a career as a government witness. Shea Jr.'s implication of Trenkler also went forward at trial, despite the fact that Shea Jr. had, at that time, been diagnosed with Pseudologica Fantastica, a mental illness which results in pathological lying and delusions. Defenders of Trenkler also say five jurors have come forward to publicly state their belief in Trenkler's innocence. On January 15, 2021, Trenkler filed a motion for compassionate release, arguing that he was unlawfully sentenced and that a severe heart condition put him at increased risk of becoming life-threateningly ill from coronavirus. That did not happen, but in 2022, Trenkler's life sentence was reduced to 41 years. It was Trenkler's ninth time coming before an appeals court. When does it end, said Leanne Hurley Tehan, daughter of Officer Jeremiah Hurley. I can't mourn my father's death like a regular death, because every day you wake up, you don't know what's going to happen. Officer Francis Foley, the other officer who was injured by Trenkler and Shea Jr.'s bomb, died on October 23rd at 80 years old.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.